Okay, here we are at the March 12, 2015 meeting of the Science Fiction Club, and we're talking this month about the Kraken Project, or is it Kraken? I still haven't figured that out yet. Project by Douglas Preston, and um, so we'll just go around the room here and see what people thought in general. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start. Generally, I liked it. The thing that stood out for me is some of the misuse of programming terms. I saw the word core dump, and I hadn't had heard the word core dump since my programmer training days back in 1976. And then I heard the word algol, and I thought, algol in this day and age? Uh, I hadn't heard that since the caveman days, so <laughs> that kind of bugged me. And... Having not written code for quite a while, I'd say a couple of decades, um, I questioned whether those terms would really fit into a futuristic sort of a um, environment because I kind of thought he was getting his terminology mixed up between the old technology and the modern stuff. So that, I'm sorry to say, distracted me from really enjoying the book. But generally, I liked it, although I read it a few weeks ago, and as I said off the recording, you know, before we started the recording, that I reviewed some of the chapters today just to get a a reminder of some of the characters' names and who was who. But generally, as I said, the book to me was, it was okay except for the misuse of terminology, which may or may not be correct according to what's going on these days in the world of programming. This is Sherry. I noticed that too, Mary, and um, whatever they called scruffy logic or something that they seem to say that's been around forever, and I've never heard of that term before. But in any case, I I really like the book a lot. Um, I must say, though, that rape scene, I almost, like, was going to quit the book. I thought that was totally gratuitous and unnecessary. And I actually got confused as to who was actually raped because Melissa had gone back to Colorado at first, I thought it was Dorothy, and then that just seemed so preposterous of a way to describe what happened on the Internet. I thought it was Dorothy because of the dog coming up to her. And then when Melissa went back to Colorado, I thought, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. Maybe it was her as she was running away back to Colorado. But then by the end of the book, again, it was Dorothy. But um, I'm glad I did finish the book because I really did like it a lot, and I thought it was a real page-turner. Well, I um, I felt like that there was a great deal of stuff in there that was totally, um, it really turned me off. I mean, to the point where I almost wanted to quit reading the book. When they started talking about um, being able to run it on an iPad, please. You do not run an artificially intelligent program on an iPad, I guarantee you. And one that is that advanced, especially, there is just no way. You might be able to get the code to fit on an iPad, but if it was two, gig, uh, two, mega, uh, two gigabytes, I think is what they said that was. So certainly it would fit on an iPad, but run, uh, I don't think so. Well, I'm glad I don't know much about computing because I didn't pick up one of those mistakes, and I, I enjoyed the book very much. Uh, you know, it had a lot of uh, action and enough science fiction to make it, Interesting, and I'm glad that she 
somehow miraculously came back when we thought for sure that she was killed and everything. And, and of course, I, I thought the ending of the book was really neat, the way she showed up, apparently, as in the president's pacemaker, I guess, and, and made him turn into a really humane type of person. That was a nice way of ending it. The only question, the only thing that I found a little bit discordant, which really was a very minor detail, maybe you, people can answer the question for me. When Dorothy uh, convinced um, Jacob that she was really a real thing and not a game by saying that her that his father had, had was married to a, a girl by the name of Angie and, and she got pregnant and then then they divorced and then he married, I guess, his present mother. I don't see why that was such an issue. Why why they thought, you know why the author even brought that in and had. Um, Jacob reacted, and why, and why even the father was hiding it so much to me. I couldn't understand that part at all. Well, his wife didn't know about it. That's part of it. Um, remember, they had an argument about it after Jacob asked him about it. His wife didn't know about it. And, um, yeah, the terminology I heard, uh, I didn't, I don't remember Algol. I've heard of that. But when they were talking about algo traders, the algorithmic trading that goes on on Wall Street, that was pretty accurate from what I've heard. Um, a lot of that goes on. You know, almost, I think, the majority of it. There's actually a book on Bard about uh, algorithmic trading and the dangers of it and so on called Flash Boys by, Flash Boys by a guy who wrote several other books that are on Bard. Eh, I can't remember his name now. But... Um, so, but um, I did hear Core Dump, and um, I don't remember her actually running the program on an iPad. I remember the program came down to the iPad for the modification so she could get rid of the ID that was on it, but I don't remember it actually running on an iPad. Because she was sleeping. Because she was sleeping at the time. But, um, but it did run in that robot, which would have had, you know, probably a lot more processing horsepower than an iPad, but I may have forgotten something about, you know, when she was running the iPad. I don't remember that, though. Um, and as far as affecting devices like at the beginning when she made the battery um, start to heat up and stuff, that kind of stuff's uh, probably already here. If it can't be done soon, it probably like will be done. Does. Like this thing, of, like this book on future crimes that I wrote about. That's that's definitely a plausible scenario, having that, you know, eliminating the safety valve on the charger or whatever she did to the battery at the beginning to make that laptop start going to get on fire. Um, we liked it quite a bit. I agreed. We, the, the scenes with her first being out on the Internet and those drunk people and stuff, that was a little over the top, I thought. Um, but this guy does put stuff like that in. He's part of the Preston and Child team, uh, which we've read most of the books they've written. And um, they they have a tendency to want to put some of that kind of stuff in. So it's not surprising that he put that scene in there, though I thought it was a little too anthropomorphic, a little bit too um, melodramatic. But um, overall... Um, we we enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it because I'm I'm pretty computer ignorant, so I didn't notice any of the technical problems. But I can understand how, with your backgrounds in in technology, you know those those things would really stick out to you. But they were they were over my head. I just liked all the 
the the people. <laughs> I like the humanity in the story, and I like the way the boy was not a superhero and he was not a super kid. He was much more believable than a lot of um, um, people in books where they they can just do everything, all kinds of things we would never dream of being able to do. So this, I like the fact that the boy, you know, gained confidence. They kind of, he kind of grew up with Dorothy, and of course she outgrew him in no time. But when she asked him to kiss her, and she began to realize things that she were was missing. Um, at the end, it's a really great ending. Yeah. Except, what if she weren't so benevolent? And you know, the idea. It's nice because Dorothy's a nice, I, uh, I A. AI. AI. <laughs> and, but um, what if she weren't? You know, it's pretty scary, the things that she could do. I'm wondering if he's planning a sequel, because he mentioned to Dora, uh, to she, Dorothy mentioned to Melissa something about some other more malevolent entity out there on the Internet. And I'm wondering if he's planning to write about that. By the way, for people who don't know, who may, who like this book, there are three other Wyman Ford books. This is the fourth one. And three out of four are on Bard. I don't know about the first one, Tyrannosaur Late. What was it called? Tyrannosaur something. The second one was called Blasphemy, which Lissy and I did read. That was a really good book, though. He's very cynical in that book. I can't spoil it because I don't want to spoil it, but he's a very cynical. The third one is called Impact, uh, which is about a mysterious impact in Cambodia or somewhere, and it might have alien origins. We're not sure. But uh, we're going to read that one pretty soon if we can pack it in, you know, because we've got other books piled up that we want to read. But So there are four of them out there. Just look under his name, or you can even look under Wyman Ford. They're all labeled, I think, on Bard. So if you're interested in, if you like this book, you might like the other ones, too. I'm glad you mentioned the sequel. One of the comments I wanted to make was I really liked the ending, and I liked the things that she did to the bad guys. A sequel would be fun if she just went around the Internet writing wrongs and, and dealing with Oh, awful trolls and things like that. I would enjoy that. Yeah, I remember the the, the uh, threatening um, presence on the web that was mentioned near the end of the book, and I thought, yeah, I suppose that she's going to have a sequel. Um, I mean, the, the author is going to write a sequel, and Dorothy will probably be back. But I hope that he corrects some of his technology errors in the meantime. That just drove me crazy. I'm sorry, folks. Well, I liked the book. The only thing I didn't like, I I skipped a lot of the violence of the, um, the killings. I hated where there were, where, um. That one guy from Baynet got killed, and and um, now I really did expect Dan's da- or um, Jacob's dad to be dead when he got shot in the te- chest. I had actually I was trying to get to a part where I could skip that, but it came up too quick. I'm like ah, and um, I thought it was real interesting that. He came up with the idea of the strong AI and sleep. It reminded me of another book we read. Um, oh, and I can't remember what it was. But it was about this um, 
robot or something that it ended up being the only robot that could reboot itself or something like that. And so therefore it could go out into other worlds and stuff. I can't remember what it's called, but um, it also talked about sleep. And it's of all the science fiction I've read, these are the only two that have ever really talked about AI sleeping, which is interesting. Uh, Leslie skipped that part about the guy getting killed, too. We, she, uh, I read through that, but she um, she skipped that. And sleep, I've heard of this before. Uh, I don't remember what book or, or it was an article about neural nets, and it, it looks as though they need some kind of sleep or downtime, if, if, if they're not sophisticated enough to call it sleep, actually, but... So that wasn't really new to me, though I hadn't thought of it until until um, Melissa mentioned that that's what she did. But um, that's in you know when they make I don't know they're they're starting to get more applications to them. But they need some sleep um, every so often, or they just start putting out nonsense and you know they they start making mistakes more and so on. So uh, yeah, that was interesting. I wanted to comment on your. Um earlier remark, Evan. Flash Boys was written by Michael Lewis, who also wrote The Money Game. I mean, The Money Ball, I think it was the movie that about the baseball team, and he wrote some other stuff all about high finance. He's very good, though I found Flash Boys a bit confusing. I wanted to say when you, they were, talk, you were talking about it was a good thing the artificial intelligence was benign. I kept thinking about Robert J. Sawyer's web mind, those three books. In the first one, he lets um, a girl commit suicide in Australia. He literally didn't know right from wrong. The blind heroine of the book had to literally teach him. And I would add, in um, as far as Douglas Preston and Lee Childs, I have read them both. They write separately, and of course they write together, and I'm not sure I know enough about them to be able to tell which one is writing what each one contributes to the partnership. I know Douglas Preston is the brother of Richard Preston, who writes more about science. I was going to add that I thought blasphemy. I can't spoil it for you either, but I thought it, I didn't like it. I thought it was too cynical. Well, I would comment also that in the beginning she was very violent. You know, before she before she uh, realized, and I guess you know there was an evolution in her personality. But in the very beginning, she was threatening to you know drop bombs on her and wipe out humanity, and she thought that humanity was a scourge and everything, and then. Gradually, she wandered through the, the worlds of the Internet. I guess she might say she found a bit of religion. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what changed her because you're right, Martin. In the beginning, she really, you know, people were scared because they thought this this entity was going to go around and just kill everybody and humanity is trash and all this kind of stuff. But I think you just put it in perspective that, that it was her wandering around the Internet and seeing that there really was a lot of good in the world of humans and stuff that that could have changed her. Um, the ending was interesting, but I can't help wondering if it was just a little bit contrived. Um, it it kind of seemed to me like the author was saying, okay, let's put a good good ending on this just to make everything wind up good and, and you know, we'll got change this cracky, cranky president into into a good person all of a sudden and it just it seemed like that needed a little more filling in and filling out to make it a little more plausible to me but I don't know maybe that's just me <laughs> I have a question 
it seemed to me that from one end of the chapter to another chapter, what, who killed um, Lansing? I mean, the last I saw, maybe I missed something, but he was about to shoot the boy, Jacob. Jacob. And Jacob closed his eyes, and then it went into another chapter. Melissa killed him. Remember, her and Ford came up to him, and she put her gun. It tells. It, it actually tells. You know that she had put her gun. She was had her gun in her hand, and so we didn't actually see it happen. But um, she did it. Um, it was pretty clear from the context. After at, you know the next time we saw Melissa and Wyman Ford, that she had shot him. And I don't remember the exact wording now, but I'm sure that that's who did it. And I was kind of disappointed. I told Lissy, I said, I like, I, and this is, you know, just me, but I like people to know they've been caught and that their plans are ruined, you know, the villain. He just killed him, you know, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know, you know, he's not clean. I just like people to know they're caught and they're finished. Just one of those little things, you know, that uh, I like to see. And the poor guy who was his assistant, who really hated the whole thing, you know, he was, he got himself in and then, you know, he and it just got worse and worse and he, he just couldn't take it, and you know, the, I kind of had a, I felt sorry for him a little bit, though I, not too much, but a little bit, because you know he did go along with this for a while, but then you know it got to just be too much for even him. But no, Melissa's the one who shot, who shot Lansing. That's a fine line that they tread, um, because the one book was too cynical, and then this had too happy an ending, and it's like the authors really have a hard time. Pleasing all of us. By the way, just as a minor correction, that's Lincoln Child. There is another writer named Lee Child who's a separate, who doesn't have anything to do with Preston and Child. That's Lincoln Child. And I I think he's the computer guy who, when they're writing together, he's the guy that contributes the computer stuff. And maybe uh, Douglas should have consulted him a little bit more. Um, the, the thing about noticing it... A good partnership. It should be seamless, and it should be. You, yeah, you shouldn't be able to tell. To be able to tell which one is writing what. They love their work, though. We've been up on their website, and there's this video. They're just up there laughing, and they they like what they do. They enjoy writing these things, and you know, giving people a little bit of a thrill. And you know, we've read most of the Pendergast books. We have a couple to catch up on, but we we enjoy them, and they're not great literature. Some of them are, they're over the top somewhat, and this book was a little bit too in some ways, but they're fun, and there is some thoughtful questioning in this book. I mean, if an AI can simulate feelings uh, well enough, then where do you draw the line and say, well, you know, it really must have feelings? After all, if you really think about it, you can't, nobody can prove to you that they have feelings. You're just assuming they do because they look like you and they grew up the same way you did, but. How do you really know? You don't know. You just assume if it walks like a duck and talks like, you know, quacks like a duck or whatever. So this is going to come up eventually, uh, and we're going to have to decide whether these, if these things have feelings, then we're going to have to start treating them not like slaves or like, you know, whatever. We're going to have to start treating them a little bit more like people. Um, one thing that I think that the author was trying to show us was that 
that Dorothy was naive and and her tantrums um, near the beginning resemble a lot of what teenagers are. Yeah, that's true. You it know, is true. I hadn't are thought of it. Stomping off to their rooms and slamming. I hate the, the world. I hate you. I hate your. I hate my father. And right. The all parents, that stuff. the school. You know, they're down on a lot of things. And then she did admit that she didn't understand literature. And then when she noticed uh, about the crucifixion about Christianity she was very puzzled but it did say that she started you know investigating and then about goodness she kind of had to be exposed a little bit she she's exposed to the boy who didn't have any you know nasty motives and who didn't know her but helped her anyway and kind of faced a lot of fears on on her behalf and Witnessing um, goodness, you know, in people in person was a help to her. Absolutely. That was a big one. Yeah, it's kind of a side note. One of the Star Trek podcasts I listen to in the next couple weeks are going to be reviewing one of the episodes of The Next Generation, which came out in, I think it was 1989, that particular episode came out, about uh, whether data is considered a, a... an entity or a machine. So back then, it was even thought about this this whole subject. And even before then, Asimov did a lot of thinking about this. And I, I think the, this particular theme has pretty much gone through all of science fiction over the years. But, of course, a modern book like what we're talking about puts another side on the whole subject and puts more light on it because of the advancements in technology that we've been experiencing just in the last few years. And I find it interesting that... um, Oh, no. At the beginning of the book, and even toward the middle, I was like, okay, why is this Jacob and Dan and... Pamela even in this book? What's the deal here? And I knew they were, you know, you know, characters come in somehow, but I couldn't figure it out at first. I was like, oh, what is this? But, you know, he really got got them in very well. And it is kind of a very thought-provoking book, as you guys said, because uh, I think of the whole arms situation and yikes. <laughs> Remember the part where Dorothy, uh, I don't think she actually said it, but she had told Jake that, that that she was going far away and he wouldn't get to see her again. And then there was a you know, discussion about China. And I thought, well, he's got to be adding another, another book in the series here because he can't just leave that hanging somewhere. Apparently the far away was that she was going to be, you know, get into the president. You know, it's a, his um, monitor heart matter, I guess, I mean, that, and, and, and maybe tried to have a good influence in the world through him. I suppose that's that's what she was referring to when she said she was going, you know, far away, or at least where she couldn't come back to see him. But the nice thing was that she did say that she would come back and spend a day with him in the robot, and apparently, I, it doesn't say, but I assume that's what they did. Well, remember, though, that she can make copies of herself. Um, I was thinking about that, too, because if she can be in in the robot and in the president's pacemaker and all this other stuff that, that was being said, 
It didn't have to be just one of her. Um, somebody with that kind of capability, you know, copying yourself, copying, having a program make copies of whether it be itself or another piece of code, That's that's been around for just forever so who says that there's got to be just one of her I thought it was kind of funny um in the toward the end you know she says Melissa's like okay but you have to come into my computer so I can take out your ID so we both have to trust each other and she says I'm scared she goes well think of it as sleep and I don't want to and well think of it as surgery and that's when she was saying think of it as surgery that's exactly what I was thinking of when she said you're under anesthesia. That's exactly what I was thinking of. So then um, Melissa did her thing and she rebooted her and she's like, well, when are you going to turn me off? It's funny because it's true. When you go through surgery, you you know you fell asleep, but it's like a minute later and you wake up, it's like, um, if I didn't feel the pain... I'd wonder when you're going to start the surgery. Um, one of the things that, this is just a personal aside, but Dorothy acted as, as an individual and not as the tool of a company that was out to make profit. And because when she found a doctor who would do a better job on the boy, I wished that she would help me find a doctor because... When we do searches on the computer, unfortunately, those engines are driven by profit, and there's a lot of political correctness going on, and we really can't be as assured that the information we find on the computer is is clean and um, not motivated by profit. For example, the cancer centers that advertise like crazy, you know, and they... They cost hundreds of thousands for two weeks of evaluation where everybody's really nice, but that doesn't really mean that they're going to be able to save someone's life. But to have uh, someone on your side in the computer who has good motives and not motives to make profit for the company who built you, boy, wouldn't that be good? (laughs) WebMind was the other example of the of the benevolent AI that I had thought of. I'd like a WebMind or a Dorothy to help me, too. And I wanted to say, I understand you enjoyed the Breston and Childs Pendergast. I thought each one got weirder and wackier than the previous one. And when they killed off Smith back, I really got disgusted. I think Pendergast is bizarre. I agree, David. I, I liked the Pendergast books, too, until they killed him off. And I haven't read one since, but it sounds like... Since Evan and Lissy like the rest of them, I really need to get back to them at some point. And I'll have to look up these Wyman Ford books. I didn't, I've never read any of the other ones. And I totally agree with you, Evan, about Lansing. I was so disappointed. I wanted him to know he had been caught and to know that he had lost everything and even to go to prison for the rest of his life. I guess that shows that we're more vengeful than the author of the book. Uh, David, I agree with you. I think that the WebMind was probably a better um, exposition of this idea than this book was because of a lot of the problems that we've mentioned on here and there are others. It's just they're too numerous to really go into. Um, But 
I think that what this book strikes me as is instead of it really being a science fiction book, it's really a thriller with a few little science fiction overtones, but not very well done. That would be my assessment of it. Um, and having said that, there were some really cool things. I really liked the way that he developed and showed her evolution. Um, that was very similar to the way a person matures from being, you know, like a baby to a with the princess to being the teenager to becoming an adult. And that was really fascinating. Um, but having, even then, I thought that it was a pretty contrived story. And I agree with whoever it was that said that they thought the ending was pretty contrived, too. That just, you know, it was just sort of too good to be true. And, oh, gee, wouldn't it be cool if it were true? Um. I'm not sure I would say that it's a thriller with some science fiction overtones when the central character is an AI, and AIs don't really exist yet, uh, at least not to the, I mean, there are some narrowly focused AIs like Watson, but um, I don't know, that if that's not science fiction, I'm not sure, you know, what would count, because we don't have anything close to that yet, and things are moving pretty fast, but it's going to be a while before anything like Dorothy comes around. Did anyone find the jail scene very suspenseful and then almost funny the way the way Dorothy rescued them? I just wondered how was she going to get them out of that when those when those cops were bullying. Um, oh yeah, Melissa and nobody brought that up. That was a great scene because <laughs> all you sh- all she had to do was expose them. That was all it took. She didn't have to bring in guns. She didn't have to bring in the you know the Marines or anything. All you sh- all these people need is the exposure of the light of day. And that's all it was. And then she got, of course, the congressman came in. But yeah, but it was all broadcast. Bit. It was all broadcast. Everybody saw it. And that's just what did it. That was a great scene, though. It was pretty harrowing for a while there. I actually love that scene. That was a great scene. I was wondering what she was going to do to get them out of it. And the congressperson and the highway patrol, that was kind of cool. Um Carla, I don't think we've heard from you. Did you have anything to say or no? I just want, this is Sherry, I just wanted to throw in that I love that scene too, and that's what I'd like to see in the sequel is Dorothy, you know, getting vengeance on all the bad guys. Well, I've got some things to say. I've had trouble getting in. You guys are real talkative, Um, but that's okay. Um, But, well, okay, as far as the the things that I liked and disliked, um, I, I could have done without the violence. I didn't like how uh, that computer guy um, was killed by the Kyrgyz brother. And even, you know, that um, Pat, she was a bad person. But I think it was over the top. I just, and just, I don't know. I, I didn't, that really turned me off. And um, that could have been eliminated from this book as far as I'm concerned. But um, that said, what, what really impressed me was... Um, it was um, uh, Melissa's humanness um, when she um, was made that offer um, by the president and everything, and how what her attitude was about um, you know the the AIs and not being able to um, um, create something like that to, um, that would destroy you know the world and 
and then the thing that she said about when when they said that um, you know was Dorothy destroyed and everything and how she felt responsible she felt some ethical responsibility and ethical responsibility for not creating other AIs and that that really impressed me and the other thing that really impressed me again was Dorothy's metamorphosis um, and one of my favorite scenes is when she was in the library and she was going through uh, all of those those things and then she found Jesus and um, that I guess that um, was my favorite part as far as um, if I had a, a scene that was going to be emblazoned in my mind forever but no I've, I really did enjoy this book and um, it was a plus that it was it wasn't so long too because sometimes when they're too long I just think do I really want to get involved with this because I'm involved in other groups too but I'm also involved in the big W word which is work and so I don't have as much time to read as much as I'd like and before I let up on the mic uh, could somebody tell me oh one other thing I just wanted to say is that um, I think that at the end, I thought it was peculiar that um, Dorothy said she was going to go away and she would never be back because after she was done doing with whatever she could do with the president, she could have come back um, or made a copy of herself, as we've said. But that leads me to believe that she was off to something further away than even the president, which makes me wonder if there isn't going to be a sequel. But the question I wanted to ask is, um, could somebody give me just a general premise about blasphemy, just about, you know, what the premise of the book is so I can decide whether that's a book I'd want to read? Uh, blasphemy was about, uh, there, there's this big super collider in uh, Arizona, and this famous physicist is in charge of it, and he's got this scientific team. And... Uh, they are supposedly able to reach the zero point energy when they collide, you know, to discover the the ultimate particles of the universe, uh, kind of like the Higgs boson, though he doesn't actually say that. And then the collider, when it starts running, and then they start getting messages. And the premise is, well, hmm, sweetie. They start getting messages, and they are believed to perhaps be from an alien, or a, a vastly more advanced alien, or um, maybe even from God. That's all I can say. There's a lot about Native Americans. There's and a fair bit about Native Americans, and there's people protesting and so on, so there's, there's another thread to it. Oh, one of the things I want to mention about violence, since I really, I couldn't listen to the torture and, you know, those terrible brothers or whatever, cousins or whatever. The, the Kyrgyz the brothers. Yeah. Um, the one thing, because I hope that, that the computer programmer in California wasn't going to be killed, and I was far, I, I didn't have any, I couldn't read that. But I do think that sometimes the authors sacrifice some characters because they want us to feel that the danger is real and if all the good guys escape unscathed or unharmed and it's always a close call but everybody you know escapes all the time then you're not as worried but when you see characters actually being caught who don't deserve you know to die you realize how amoral the 
the villains are and how how serious the danger is and that that really glues you to the page but i would say again the ending of blasphemy is not so happy as the ending for this book so you just if you want to know that going in uh it was interesting i thought but much more cynical when you find out uh what's going on so uh but we haven't read uh, books one or three yet, so we're going to um, try to get a hold of... Well, we can get three off a of bard. I don't know about one. But uh, they're fun, as I said. They're not great literature, but they're fun to read, and they do have some thoughtful ideas. And, and they're thrillers, that's true. But I would count this as science fiction, of anything science fiction, just because of the char- central characters, you know, uh, Dorothy. So... Well, I I like the Wyman Ford character, so and I like Douglas Preston, so I'm going to look those up and figure out what order to read them in and give them a try. Um, I, I agree with you, Lissy, about the violence in terms of killing off characters, but I think I'd be happier if like they just threw Patty off the bridge and they didn't describe all the gory details, or they just killed the guy in California, the guy that owned the small telephone company, and not. I skipped all that part, so I don't know how detailed it got, but I had to skip ahead a bit, so I'm sure there was enough detail in there that I wouldn't have liked it. So if they could just kill them off nicely like they did Lansing, I would have been happier. I think a lot of the techno suspense and even contemporary suspense, Jeffrey Deaver comes to mind, are very ruthless with their characters now uh, for the very reason you said, to make us care and to realize this isn't a pretty little English procedural where the, bo- where the bodies die off stage. I wanted to mention, I don't know if any of you heard of a book. It came out in the mid to late 1980s. I don't think it's on board yet. It was called Star Griffin, and it was about the, I think it, it's best described as about the world that's about to come where everything is online, and so people hack things and make trains crash. It, I couldn't finish it. It was horrible. It was cynical and horrible, so I don't know even how it ended, but it was called Star Griffin. Maybe one of you have read it. It was on two cassettes. came out in the late 1980s. I think a lot of the violence that goes on is kind of tossed in to uh, present what authors think the readers want, because it seems like with all the violence in movies and stuff, some people think that, oh, if we don't put violence in these books, then they're not going to sell. Well, that's not necessarily true because there are plenty of books out there, you know, that sell fairly well and they don't have violence in them either because they're not the subject that would encourage it or for whatever reason. But I can't help wondering if some of the reasons some of this stuff is in there is just because it's supposed to be a sale technique or something. That's not always true, but I'm just throwing that in. Didn't Stephen King once say, or he paraphrased, if you write for the masses, you'll dine with the classes, and if you write for the um, classes, you'll dine with the masses, and he has done that to a point. Even he's taken a hand at sci-fi. I guess The Running Man is kind of... But I'm not sure. I just thought it was an interesting quote because I do think these writers who become name brands like Lincoln Child and Douglas Preston, because they have other things going, and the big names like John Grisham and different people, King, become name brands, they have to keep sort of a formula going, and they're expected to do certain things. Clive Cussler's another one. I guess he's science fiction, but he's so over the top. I think after three books of his, I had had enough. I had enough after one. I can't remember what it was now, but... Dirk Pitt registered trademark. 
Clark. That just that makes me laugh every time I hear it, which I don't hear it much lately, but I, I did hear it a few times before I quit. But uh, the, the thing is, though, as uh, the world, the technology advances, it's getting harder to get science fictional without or, or to put a you know a lot of books now that are not considered science fiction would have been 10 years ago i mean or 15 you got tom clancy um threat vector which i haven't read yet but it's on my book sense and a lot of that it has to do with cyber warfare apparently with china and um this stuff is so science fictional so you know the line is moving all the time but Dorothy's still ahead of, you know, the line, but the line keeps moving. Um, I think it's sad <clears throat> that genres are so formulaic. I think it's sad that that they do feel that if it's going to be classified as suspense, it has to have a certain amount of gore, you know, gore factor. And I, I admit, I, I really like cozy mysteries, and I do like the murder offstage, and I like to solve the puzzle. I like characters, and I, I'm trying to be open-minded and, and uh, extend myself a little bit, but, but the violence is it kind of chokes, you know, is a lump in my throat. I agree with Sherry that the, that the scene with Patty off the bridge was extended, but I'll tell you, when I was reading it, I was thinking, maybe she's going to get it. Maybe she'll get him. Maybe she will come out of it. Maybe she'll kick this guy right in the right way, and she'll be able to escape. I kept thinking until the very end of it. Maybe, you know, I was in suspense. So I guess, uh, I guess there's a part of me that that worked for, even though another part of me was thinking, oh, man, this is gratuitous. This is stretched out too much because you know she's going to die. But maybe she won't, though. You know, and, and the author keep, kept me in doubt long enough that, uh, you know, so I, I agree with you on one hand. But on the other hand, I admit that I was suspended, suspended by it or whatever the heck the word is. <laughs> I was suspenseful. Well, that's really a good point, Evan. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I did read the whole Patty thing, and you're right. I was thinking the same thing. Maybe she's going to escape. Maybe she's going to escape. So that's a really good point, and I would agree with Dirk Pitt. One book of that was enough. I wanted to mention to Carla, and if you already know this, I apologize, but sometimes when people um, start doing these, they don't realize this. If you hold down the control key and just keep holding it down and holding it down and holding it down, um, you're, whenever your turn comes up, you'll pop into the room. You don't have to wait till somebody stops talking to push the control key. So if you don't know that, that might help you get in, in more. You know, I also thought maybe she'll escape. I, I did read that scene, but then I, I kind of skipped back and forth. The one I really hated was, and I skipped a lot of that one, was where he hit the guy, the bayonet guy, in his kneecap. And after he did that twice, I'm like, okay, I'm done with that. I, 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 I don't, I don't like, I don't like scenes like that. I really don't. Um, but honestly, this was a really, I would call this a science fiction, if I were to categorize a science fiction, thriller, suspense, um, well, I don't know about any more, but I think that's what I'd call it. Oh, the thing works. I, no, I didn't know that if you just uh, sort of laid on the 
<laughs> control key. Uh, the last time I did that, it um, threw somebody else out of a room one time, I think. Well, maybe I don't have that much power in my little finger. Anyhow, from a linguistic, phonetic uh, standpoint earlier, um, you were all saying, well, should it be crocking or craken? I think it should be craken because T-A-K-E is taken. So I'm going to be craken project, the long A. Um, but now, um, when I read science fiction, well, I'm not into murder and violence and suspense as much as some people are. When when I'm reading about science fiction, I, I really want the intellectual stuff. And anything else is a cheap shot to me. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I didn't share anybody's optimism that that it was suspense when Patty was on the bridge that she was going to make it. Intellectually, you know, just sort of, I, I knew that she she wasn't going to make it. And I thought, oh boy, here we go again. And, and then with that um, computer guy and the kneecaps and things like that, that, that just really, those kinds of things really upset me, I guess. That said, I, I really did like the development of the characters and also um, the AI. Um, it, it's just sort of interesting how it is going to be an intellectual thing about AIs and how they're treated and, and robots. And sometimes I think to myself, gee, I, I'd like to have a robot like that to have dinner with or do something, and a robotic boyfriend or something. But, but it, it's, um, it's scary where it's going. And um, playing God, um, sometimes I think our society tends to play God, and it's a little scary. Well, I think the only thing I was going to add was I'm surprised nobody mentioned the scene in the barn near the end. That's the part that I skip. I, I don't read mystery or, mystery or suspense novels at all because I really do hate violence. But as I have said before, I think some of the stuff was just too drawn out in this book. And for me, the barn scene, even though it, there were some things that were resolved, especially you know criminals were... At least one of the criminals is locked in there. I don't think both of them were. But I just, I didn't want to read that either because just the thought of people burning up like that, it's just, uh, just awful. Well, I, uh, um, well, I guess I have to, I guess, I, I guess Sherry is right. I, I thought they got their just desserts, but, uh, but I know and there's another part of me that agrees with you. But another part of me says, you know, they got what they deserve, basically, because they were just, they had no consciences. They had, you know, they, they needed to be, they needed to leave society. Let's put it that way. Um, but, um, and I thought she was gone. You know, I didn't, you know. And then, of course, he brings in the power lines. And that really works. There are, there are network, there are home network kits you can buy that actually use the power lines of your, that use the electrical wiring of your house. You don't have to wire Ethernet. You know, they've been around for quite a few years. I'm sure Mary's heard about them. You've got probably some other people here. And it didn't occur to me, though, that she might have escaped through the power lines. But it works. It was a good, you know, but it kept, but I thought she was gone. It, but it worked out. It was great. Um, yes and no. It, it does work. You're exactly right. However, to get two gigabytes of data to be transferred in the amount of time it would take for that sucker to fry that entire robot is um, well beyond the capabilities of networks right now. 
I mean like as in orders of magnitude. Um, just think about how long it takes to download a book. So <clears throat> anyway, um, by the way, Evan, I, yes, you're absolutely right that there are, that AI is a science fiction topic, but I think the reason that I say that I only think it has overtones of science fiction is because I don't think that the science fiction part of it was done very thoughtfully and very thoroughly. Well, uh, it's uh, getting near, uh, well, it's after 9.50 here, so we probably better talk about our new book, which, uh, unless I'm mistaken, we kind of reached a consensus about that already, didn't we? Wasn't it, uh, we have two people that died, and then one got in an accident. There was Harrison Ford who got in an accident, there was, uh, um, gosh, what a month. But didn't we decide to read, um, oh, which was Spock's World or Sark? I can't remember. I think we decided on Spock's World. And I have both it and Sarek on my stream, so if anybody wants to hear, you know, the the uh, summaries of the book, then I can provide that if anybody wants it. But I thought Spock's word, World was kind of the consensus. But um, I think Evan and I agreed on that, but other people may have wanted something else. That sounds okay. Would you play the annotation, maybe? Yes, I really would like to hear the summaries. I always do, and know how long it's going to be, and where you can get it and everything. Is anybody else interested? Because I've now got Spock's World uh, queued up. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it. I can just turn it up and hold it up to the headset. Yeah, go for it. I'd, I'd be interested in either one of those books. Hit it. Go for it. Spock's World by Diane Duane. Copyright 1988 by Paramount Pictures Corporation. Narrated by Bob Askey. This book was originally created for audio cassette playback. Any announcements concerning cassettes do not apply to this recording. This version contains markers allowing direct access to major portions of the book. Annotation. The ruling council of the planet Vulcan calls an emergency meeting to try to preserve the planet. Spock, torn between his duty to Starfleet and his obligation to Vulcan, must find a way to reconcile his inner conflict and resolve the crisis that his planet faces. A Star Trek novel. Bestseller, 1988. From the book jacket. Ever since 1966, when the very first episode of the original Star Trek television series aired, Casual fans and devoted Trekkers alike have been captivated by the alien Mr. Spock and his enigmatic home planet Vulcan. Now, for the first time anywhere, here is an in-depth look at the secret history of both. It is the 23rd century. On the planet Vulcan, a crisis of unprecedented proportion has caused the convocation of the planet's ruling council and summoned the USS Enterprise, trademark, from halfway across the galaxy to bring Vulcan's most famous son home in its hour of need. As Commander Spock, his father Sarek, and Captain James T. Kirk struggle to preserve the very future of the Federation, The innermost secrets of the planet Vulcan are laid before us, from its beginnings millions of years ago to its savage prehistory, from merciless tribal warfare to medieval court intrigue, from the exploration of space to the development of Chatai, the ruling ethic of logic. And Spock, torn between his duty to Starfleet and the unbreakable ties that bind him to Vulcan, must find a way to reconcile both his own inner conflict and the external dilemma his planet faces, lest the Federation itself be ripped asunder. About the author. Hey, Bob Askey's reading it. Uh... He's uh, he's he's good. He's a pro, even though he didn't like Star Trek much. He he reads well. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a trilogy in paperback, and I don't remember all of them, but I think the second one's called Vulcan Heart. But they're all Vulcan this and Vulcan that. But I'm all for Spock's world. Yeah, we'll this. do that. 
how long is that? I, I think it's about um, eight or eight or nine hours or something. It's not very long. I just checked. It's 11 hours and 49 minutes as far as my stream says. Obviously, this is recorded before they had digital recording, so they didn't include that. But my stream doesn't usually lie, so let's say 11 hours, 49 minutes. Yeah, it's almost exactly as long as the book we read last month, so uh, that's cool. You read much faster than I listen, because one of the things I, I do when I read is visualize everything that's going on, and I feel the emotions, and I can't feel emotions and visualize that fast. I read it fast like she does, but I find... And I find it's much easier to do with this digital compression. It took me a long time to learn to speed up cassettes and hear Mickey Mouse. But I wanted to say when I read fast, I find even with nonfiction, I don't remember it quite as well. It's like it doesn't quite set as well in your brain. But I usually do it anyway. I have so many things to read. That is so funny, David, because um, the only time I really read books fast at all is when I know that, uh-oh, I... I kind of behind on a book here and I'm about to go into a book club then I'll read it fast but I'm with you when I do that I don't remember things as well so I usually very seldom read a book fast I think the only thing that I read at normal speed and I read these on my on my braille sense QWERTY and books that I read at normal speed are usually nonfiction or things I'm trying to learn um, very factual books. Otherwise, with science fiction, usually I can pretty much zip through a book, but you're right. It's easier to remember if you slow down. But I get into the plot, and i got to know what happens. <laughs> Speed it up. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I listen at a higher speed, too. I don't find that that affects my retention so much as the fact that I tend to listen to books as I'm doing other things. So, like, if I'm making dinner or, you know, doing laundry or something like that, then I won't retain it as much as if I'm just sitting still. And if I'm sitting still and reading, I might up at another click even. But ironically, I, I never listen to podcasts at a higher speed. I, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, I need those at normal speed, but not books. I tend to read at a higher speed because my mind tends to wander if I listen for a while at normal speed, unless it's a, a reader who tends to read faster than most people speak. Um, because my mind starts to wander, and then, of course, i got to go back and listen to it again, so I just lost more time. Go um, ahead, sweetie. I read, my favorite way of reading is Braille. And, and I certainly don't read that fast, but I remember what I read in Braille better than I remember anything that I listen to. Then when it comes to listening, the only time I really speed it up if it is if I think it's sort of a dumb book and I don't care and I just want to put the plot together, find out what happened, but I'm not really um, committed to the book. One of the other things I do when I read is extrapolate a lot, and I'm always predicting what's going to happen. And I have so many things going on in my mind interacting with the with the book, I just don't have time if it's speeded up. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to turn off the recording here only after I've said that our next meeting is on April the 9th, um, 28 days from now. And our book will be Spock's World by Diane Duane, which is on Bard, and there's also a publisher-quality version on Bookshare. I checked before uh, the meeting to find out, and so you'll get an excellent quality version from Bookshare if you want that. 
and you can listen to Ivona reading it or some other voice if you have more other voices that you bought. Um, or you can listen to the book stream, or Victor stream of the book sense, or you can listen to Bob Askey reading it from Bard. Okay.